If you're wondering about the title of this sermon, Veggie or Weed, I want you to know that it's not a misprint, or worse, a prolonged gardening lesson in weed control. I confess that I'm a passionate organic vegetable gardener. The vegetables I grow are the fruits of my labors. They find their way to my table, to the kitchens of my friends, family, and to the people who come to our local food bank for their fresh produce. My little plot at the Howard County Conservancy is special to me because it draws me into God's creation in an intimate way. In the quiet of the garden, I feel God very close by as I tend my vegetables. I pray as I work, and my work becomes my prayer. This growing season, my fellow gardeners and I have had a terrible time keeping, keeping up with the weeds, especially one called purslane. Purslane is a highly invasive and fast-growing weed with octopus-like tentacles. It can take over a garden in just a few days. <clears throat> this means that we spend many endless hours each week weeding, weeding, weeding. Ugh. A couple of weeks ago, while I was angrily yanking the purslane out of the soil that was threatening to choke all my vegetable plants, a man I didn't know approached me and asked what I was planning to do with it. What an odd question, I thought. Was he joking? But he wasn't smiling. He was dead serious. So I said that I was going to dump the purslane into the compost bin. He replied that that would be a pity because in his culture, purslane is a highly valued vegetable. This put me off balance for a moment. And then I asked him if he'd like to have my overfilled bucket of purslane. He seemed delighted. Then he bent over and began helping me weed my garden, gently putting up, pulling up handfuls of purslane to take home to his wife to prepare with beans, onions, and spices. I'm sharing this story with you because there are parallels between my labors in the garden and our reading today from 1 Corinthians, which Jason's going Jason to read for us. To <laughs> and I forgot to remind you. Jason's so. still a little jet lag, sorry. <laughs> okay. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Thank you. <clears throat> from a gardener's perspective, Paul was the planter of the seeds of Jesus' message. He considered himself a servant of Christ, and had a single-minded mission to establish churches across the Roman Empire. Paul took his calling as an apostle of Jesus very seriously 
and regarded himself and the other church leaders as stewards of of God's mysteries, stewards of God's mysteries. Their ministry was to proclaim the gospel in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was and is the head of the church. In Paul's context, to be a steward means to be a trustworthy and accountable servant to the Lord and a servant in ministry and in life. Paul was the model of responsible stewardship. In our reading today, which you just heard, he receives news that factions have arisen within the Corinthian church. The gifted and charismatic preacher Apollos has impressed a number of people who have pledged their allegiance to him, while others have aligned themselves with Paul or Peter or perhaps even other leaders in the Jesus movement. Paul understands the seriousness of this situation and addresses it early in his first letter to the Corinthians. He knows that he needs to stop dissension and divisive behavior before the the community suffers serious damage. Paul is aware that the Corinthian community is comparing and contrasting and assessing him as well as Apollos and the other church leaders. We pick up a twinge of hurt in Paul's voice when he writes, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In the opinion of, uh, if the opinion of the congregation is so unimportant to Paul, why does he even mention that they're judging him? Is it because he has feelings like the rest of us and people's personal criticisms really do affect them and they affect him? What if Paul evaluates himself? Is he supposed to rank himself against his peers in church leadership to measure his effectiveness? But Paul says no to self-judgment because he believes his appraisal of himself has no real value in the end. The final judgment of his worthiness and his usefulness to God, the final evaluation of his life and ministry, belongs to God alone. No assessment by humans, even his own self-evaluation, can justify him. Paul believes the final judgment of his ministry rests solely with the Lord, because the Lord is the master and judge of all, and the final judgment is his alone. Hear Paul's thoughts on human versus divine judgment in 1 Corinthians as paraphrased in the message, the Bible in contemporary language. So don't get ahead of the master and jump to conclusions with your judgments before all the evidence is in. When he comes, he will bring out in the open and place in evidence all kinds of things we never even dreamed of inner motives and purposes and prayers. Only then will any one of us get to hear the well done of God. Now Jesus, the Messiah and Son of God, showed mercy to sinners, the sick, social outcasts, the poor, and all sorts of others who, were, who suffered. Outcasts people nobody wanted to associate with, all sorts of folks. 
The Gospels depict Jesus showing mercy many times in his life, even as he was nailed to the cross and dying. In Luke 23, 39-43, Jesus forgives the thief hanging on the cross beside him. Jesus offered this complete stranger, a condemned man, forgiveness and salvation after his one-sentence request. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. To know Jesus is to know God the Father. We know this because in John 10.30, after describing himself as the good shepherd, clearly a God image that his audience recognized, Jesus tells them, the Father and I are one. Meaning that Jesus is not merely God's prophet, like all the other prophets, but he is one in being with the Father, fully human, and yet at the same time, fully divine. This concept was blasphemous to the people who were listening to him. They were shocked at Jesus. And they were ready to stone him for blasphemy. They picked up rocks. Heaven knows they probably could have killed him, but Jesus managed to get away and escape to safety. Let's remember that divine justice and judgment are always tempered with mercy when it comes to God. And mercy is related to God's infinite love for us and for all of creation. Unlike humans... God doesn't hold grudges. God doesn't play games. God doesn't lose patience. He doesn't stop loving. God is perfect in every way. And needless to say, we are not perfect. Thankfully, the Lord loves us completely, despite our imperfection. Now I'll share the conclusion of the dilemma I faced in my garden. You've probably already guessed that I feel guilty about the wheelbarrow loads of purslane that I've wasted this year. I deeply regret having thrown away good food that my neighbors could have enjoyed. I made a value judgment based on my own biases about what is a weed and what is a veggie, what has no value and what is precious, what is bad and what is good. I just knew that my judgment was right. I didn't plant those purslane plants, and it it appeared all by itself, right where I didn't want it to grow. Therefore, it had to be a worthless weed. Then my neighbor enlightened me and opened up a whole new level of understanding. These days, I make a point of weeding my garden a couple of hours before the sun sets, when my fellow gardener and his friends come to tend their plots. I try to pull my purslane plants gently and shake the soil from their roots so the cooks who will prepare them will have less grit to contend with. I can count on my garden friends to help me harvest those former weeds that I now consider to be veggies. I realize that God has heard my prayers and blessed my discernment regarding the purslane and the people in the garden. I'm joyful when I see my gardening friends, and it must show because they greet me with smiles and hellos 
as they walk by my plot. Strong men offer me their help with the heavier jobs that I once did all by myself. Their wives, children, and extended families extend waves and greetings to me. And we share vegetables with one another. For my neighbor, a bag of organic kale from my garden with, yes, a bit of purslane tucked in for good measure. And from him to me, a lovely head of purple cabbage from his garden for my salad bowl. This love of neighbor is born of more respect, more understanding, more sharing, and far, far less human judgment. Amen. I want to share with you a prayer attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Let us pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen.